Well, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please open to Ephesians chapter 6. We are working our way through Ephesians. And ever since chapter 4, really, Paul has been unpacking what does it look like now that you're born again, now that you've been made part of this new people of God, both Jew and Gentile, what are the relationships now to look like? And he showed us the relationship uh, within the church, how we ought to build each other up in love. We've looked at husbands and wives, children and parents, and now we're looking at slaves and masters. And really... We're to verse 9, where Paul writes, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that He who is both their Master and yours is in heaven, and there be no partiality in Him. As we consider what it's to look like, this employee-employer relationship, or anyone in authority to anyone who is under authority. This might be a big brother that is babysitting his little brother. What is Christ called those in authority to do? What are they to be like. This is what we're thinking of uh, this, this morning. As we think about relationships in, of all kinds, and we ask the question, what are they to look like? How are they to look different? I think it's helpful for us to be honest. If we look at what the Scripture tells us, we can clearly see that our relationships are kind of like gas gauges in cars. Our relationships are kind of like a gas gauge in our cars. They indicate how full a person is of the love of Christ. It's one thing to be born again, to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, but even as believers, we can be immature in our understanding and knowledge of the love of Christ. At times, we can be closer to Christ relationally. And at other times, we can be far from Christ relationally. And one of the indicators that you will have with how close you are to Christ, how you're doing in your relationship with Christ is the relationships God has put in your life. In your family, in your workplace, in your friendships. So that one of the clearest signs or, or measurements that a person is growing in a sincere relationship with Christ is looking at how we're doing in our 
relationships in our life, our marriage relationships, the parent-child relationship, all of them are an indicator. People often justify bad relationships by, in a sense, blaming God for the way He made them. Have you ever heard someone say, well, it's just my personality. It's the way God has made me. And when we do that, we often are justifying our own sinful tendencies in relationship by slapping the term, it's my personality. Essentially, when we say that, what we mean is, you might not like it, it might not be your taste, but it's not wrong. God makes everyone different. This is just the way He makes me, or this is just the way He makes them. God has all sorts of different personalities. We'll say things like, oh, don't worry about Him. Or don't worry about her. You know, he's German. He's, he's just German. I know, I know he doesn't seem very loving, but essentially he can't help it. Or he's got a bit of his daddy's temper. His grandpa had that sort of temper too. The idea is, is this runs in the family. Can't help it. It's his personality. It's, he's born into it. So I looked up, what is the definition of personality in the Webster Dictionary? We use this term all the time. Here's what it says. The combination of characteristics or qualities that form an individual's distinctive character. So when someone says, that's just his personality, what we're saying is that's their character. You see, it shouldn't be a justifying thing. It doesn't get them off the hook. I can hear my biblical counseling professor saying, all of our personalities need to be conformed into the image of Christ no matter what your heritage is. If you're German be like Christ. If you're Irish, be like Christ. If you're a redhead, be like Christ. If your daddy was this or your grandpa was like that, Christian, in your new life that you've been given in Christ in the new birth, be like Christ. At the beginning of chapter 5, he says, Beloved children, imitate God. If God has loved you, if God has given you new life in Christ, be like Him. All of our personalities need to be conformed into the image of Christ. Someone might say, well, that doesn't seem right. It sounds like death to my individuality. 
in all I have to offer. Well, what did John the Baptist say? He must increase and I must decrease. Maybe the world doesn't need more of you and more of me and what more of my sinful tendencies that harm relationships. What the world needs is less of me and more of Christ. In fact, this is what the very gospel demands of us. Listen to Luke 19, uh, or Luke chapter 9, verse 23, what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. A daily denial of yourself. If you want to follow me, you are signing up for death to self. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Yes, God has made each individual uniquely in the image of God. That is true. And we should glory in the differences that God has made within us but we should be careful not to pretend like we're doing that when we're actually justifying areas of our life that need to change. I don't think we want to blame God for our sinful attitudes and behaviors in our relationships. I don't think we want to say just God made me that way. We are masters at adding virtue to our sinful tendencies. Think about this for a minute. We can be masters, Christians, at adding virtue to our sinful tendencies. The very things that we're supposed to repent of and put to death and hate, we not only can continue to do it, but we can make it a virtue. We can say, this is actually one of my strengths. But when a person begins to fathom the love of Christ and remembers the gospel, really begins to understand grace, what happens? They become humbled they begin to have the fruits of the Spirit. So the key, if you, if, if you look at your notes, the key for both employees or slaves in Jesus' day, the key for them is to what? Have their eyes on Christ. To serve your master as though you're serving Christ. To be honest with your work. To work just as hard when your boss isn't working as when he's there because your service Christian is to Christ. And so the key is eyes on Christ. Well, it's the same thing for those who are in authority. 
When those in authority take their eyes off Christ, pride begins to grow in their life. And then the way they treat those relationships, those who are under them, they begin to become ugly. Do you realize that when your eyes are worshiping on Christ, you'll be like Christ? When you're seeing clearly who Christ is, you will actually become more and more like Him. I want to show you this. In Psalm 115, uh, we'll begin in verse 4. Also, Psalm 135 is similar to this. But here's what we read. The psalmist is mocking those who worship idols made by hands. Listen to what he says. We learn an important principle here. He says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, uh, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. So these idols they're worshiping, they're dead. But look at what he says, verse 8. Those who make them become like them. See, there's a principle here. Those who make idols become like them. So do all who trust in them. And then he says, oh Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You see, when the Israelites worship the golden calf, what are they called? Stiff-necked people. They're becoming dead like the idol they're worshiping. And the reverse is true. As your eyes are on Christ, why ought you get into the Scripture every day? Because you need to see God in the Bible. You need to see Christ in the Bible. And as your heart loves Christ, you'll become like Christ. See, this is the principle. That's why in 1 John, for example, John can write this. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and there is no darkness And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, look at what it says. We have fellowship with one another. You see, if you walk in the light of Christ, If Christ is the center of your worship, you want to know what the byproduct is? Fellowship with one another. Relationships that are whole and growing. All throughout 1 John, John says over and over and over again, if you say you love God and you don't love the brothers, you don't know God. And so if you're someone in this room today that God has put in authority over someone else, most people are in authority over 
someone, God has put in that position, here's what you need to know. You need, you need to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. You need to have your eyes on Him. You don't need to merely be a good, moral, upright person. You need to be a person whose heart is filled with the love of Christ. So when you re read the main charge of the sermon, keep your eyes on the Lord as you serve in positions of authority. It's vital. As your eyes come off the Lord and onto idols, your relationships, all of them, will begin to be affected. So let's look at our text. Let me just remind the context that Paul has this thought going all the way back from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. If you have your Bible, just look at it with me so we can see where this is coming from. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right before that, he says, use your time wisely because the days are evil. And then he says, don't get drunk on wine. The days are evil, don't get drunk on wine. If you would get drunk on wine, you would lower your ability to fight the spiritual battle you need to fight. Those who give themselves to drugs and alcohol lay out the red carpet for demons to have an effect on your soul. And that's why he says here, don't get drunk on wine for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, this is what it will look like. Three ways. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So, singing to one another praises to God. That's, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to have a worshipful attitude. You remember that? And then he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only the one who's filled with the Spirit, they'll have a worshipful attitude, they'll have a thankful attitude. They won't be grumblers. They'll remember the Gospel of Christ. And then the third thing is this. Submit to one another. So those who are filled with the Spirit, what Paul expects out of the lives of these believers is this mutual submission that goes back and forth out of their reverence for Christ Himself. That when we submit to one another, we're actually submitting to Christ. So he says, wives submit to husbands. He says, husbands love your wives. He says, children obey your parents. He says, fathers don't provoke your children to anger. He says, slaves serve your, your masters in this way. And as we're seeing today, masters. Here's how you're to wield your authority. So what we're looking at today, we don't want to get so zoomed in, we forget what Paul is doing here. What Paul is saying is, you need to be filled with the Spirit 
so that in all your relationships, your pride can come down and you can prefer one another. And he just, how practical is the Bible? He just goes through all these basic relationships in our life. So let's look at this one. The first point in your notes, employers or leaders faithfully care for those under your authority. Here's what he says. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Alright? So what does he mean? Masters, do the same to them. He just... He just gave charges to slaves to be obedient to masters. So how can he say, do the same? Well, I think this is what he's getting at. If we look at the previous verses, the closest antecedent to uh, this charge to do the same is in verse 6. At the end of verse 6, he says, doing the will of God from the heart. There's the command. To do the will of God from the heart. Masters are called to be in the position of authority therein, doing the will of God in the sincerity of their heart. And then verses 7 and 8 kind of unpack that command. What does it look like to do the will of God from the heart? In 7 he says, Rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. So any authority you're in, as in God's providence, you're put there by God and you're actually a steward of that authority. You're going to give an account to God, as we'll look at in a moment, for how you have done in the position the Lord has given you. And then he says in verse 8, knowing that there's going to be reward for those who serve as though they're serving the Lord. Nothing will be in vain. There will never be an employee that does something when their boss isn't looking that won't be rewarded by Christ. Same thing for masters. So they're to have the same attitudes, motivations, and behaviors the slaves were just required to have. The most fundamental thing they're to do the same is to realize they're to render their service to Christ. They're not just running a business. You're going to give an account to Christ for your business and how you treated people created in the image of God whom God wants through your life to see Christ. God wants Christians in authority to be an image of Christ to everyone under their care. A Christian employer must strive to make every decision in light of Christ, asking the question, what would please Him? It's obviously to be conducted, every business, 
Everyone in authority is to do it with honesty, with uprightness, not showing partiality to those in your care. It's to be up to the standard of the righteousness of Christ. And so then, how does he unpack this? After he says, do the same to them, which is doing the will of God from the heart, he gives us a negative here. He says, and stop your threatening. As I was reading about the Roman culture when Paul wrote this, uh, there's writings from like governors and leaders in the Roman Empire that basically teach the only way you can handle a slave is with punishment, with threatening punishment. That's the only way you can keep your slaves in line. And so here, Paul is pressing on that, and he says, stop it. That's a strong command. That would have been shocking to them. Stop using your authority to manipulate with fear those under your care to get the desired ends that you want to get. The temptation for anyone in authority is to use your power for your own selfish means. Right? Brothers or sisters, have you ever been babysitting your younger brothers or sisters? Is the temptation not there to abuse your authority so that you just watch whatever TV show you want to watch? Or you like this authority so you lord it over them? It's the temptation, whether you're a child or whether you're a business owner or a manager of employees, to use that authority for self-indulging ends. So the attitude of any employer is not how much can I get out of my employees without them quitting, but rather how can you rightly and justly care for their well-being? These are people created in the image of God. They're given to you as a responsibility to care for them and love them. That doesn't mean you don't hold them accountable. Yes, you hold them accountable. But you don't just see them as pawns to your end. As people who have less value before God than you. Listen to Proverbs 22.16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth, it's not going to turn out good for him in the end. Proverbs 21.13 says this, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Or Proverbs 14.31, Whoever oppresses the poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy 
honors him. So when someone in authority blesses those under them, what are they doing? They're worshiping God. God is being honored. Christ is being honored in their life. Remember Jesus' interaction with the disciples when they're arguing who is to be the greatest? Luke 22-24. We read a, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise authority our lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader is one who serves. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And so Jesus says, look at how the Gentiles, the unbelievers, use their authority. They lord it over them, but look at what I'm doing right now. You guys, I'd put you in a greater position than me. I'm serving you. And what's Jesus saying? He says, this is greatness. This is what authority, being used according to the will of God, looks like. Listen to Proverbs 29.7. A righteous man who knows the rights of, a poor, of the poor, or a righteous man knows the rights of the poor, a wicked man does not understand such knowledge. How often do we see this in our world? The wicked seem to treat others as though they're nothing. They don't have the knowledge of the, the rights of every human being. Proverbs 14.21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. This is one of my favorites. You might want to take note of this one. Proverbs 30, verse 13. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from the earth, the needy from among mankind. So what does he say? The arrogant man who thinks wrongly of who he is, he's taken his eyes maybe off Christ. Christians can be like this. Christians can begin to be like those who have fangs and knives to devour those in their relationships when they become proud and their eyes are taken off Him. Paul strongly discourages threatening. And if you want to look at, we don't have time to do this, but if we went and read Paul's letters, these are churches that are messed up. These are churches that need a lot of correction. And you read every introduction. Paul motivates through encouragement. Yes, he's not afraid to hold people accountable, but you look at the tone in which he does it. Look at how he leans into them and encourages them in love. That was not seen in the Roman Empire. 
Paul's in a position of authority as an apostle, and yet he wields that authority encouraging the churches and the brothers, humbling himself before them as the greatest of all sinners. For example, the Thessalonians. It's my suspicion that they struggled with gossip, that maybe they were a little lazy. All right? Listen how he starts out the letter to them. This is in 1 Thessalonians 1-2. We give thanks to God for all of you. Or we give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I've seen your love. I've heard of your love. I'm thankful for that love. Well, in chapter 4, I think he wants more love. I think he wants less gossip. I think he wants harder workers. Listen how he says it, though. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, meaning in the new birth. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But, brothers, we urge you to do this more and more. You're loving. But you can do better. You can do it more and more. You know, you're an employer. You got, let's, let's say you're a perfectionist. And you're watching your employees. And all you ever do is point out the critical mistake. The critical mistake. The critical mistake. You're saying the, the level of this company needs to be up here. Well, I'm saying take a lesson from the Apostle Paul. Look at this. This was good. Praise God for this. Thank you for being consistent. Maybe we could try this. You're doing good. You see the difference? Paul encourages more and more love. Brothers, we urge you, do this more and more and aspire to live quietly. I think that means not getting involved in everyone's affairs. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders. And be dependent on no one. You see, so he's calling them to not threaten, not to use their authority, but to do it how he does it. And then finally, leaders are to faithfully carry those who are under your authority, knowing you will give an account to God. Isn't that what Paul's getting at here? knowing that He is both their Master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with Him. When one in authority fails to have their eyes on Christ, they forget that they're going to give an account to Him. They forget their servants of Christ. Clinton Arnold writes, every supervisor, 
every boss, every manager, every warden, every colonial will be called to account at the judgment seat of Christ. All the authority that we've been given is given as a stewardship to be stewarded rightly in worship of Christ. I love in Deuteronomy chapter 8 as He calls the Israelites to enter the promised land and to defeat their enemies. Here's what He says. He says, Beware, lest you say in your hearts, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. Here's the reality. If you own a business, or if you're a manager, there's a good chance that you've been more wise, maybe you've worked harder with the gifts God has given you. And so you look at your employees, or you look at those who haven't done that. Maybe you look at those who are taking advantage of the government welfare system, And it can feel good to say, why can't they be like me? They didn't work as hard as me. They're not doing it as good as me. Well, what this text says is, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. Where did you get the work ethic? Where did you get the breath to use that work ethic? Where did you get the wisdom? You see, we all must remember the Gospel. That we are nothing apart from Christ. We must be humbled. I love in 1 Corinthians 4. Listen to Paul, the the apostle here, who's been given much authority. Listen to what he says. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. You know, this is the church that some some really like Apollo, some like Peter, some like Paul. He says, you should just view us as servants of Christ. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required as stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted, for it is the Lord who judges me. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, now listen, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Hang with me here. Understand what he's saying. Paul says, I'm not even judging how I'm doing with the stewardship the Lord's given me. Because I know this. There's things in darkness and there's things hidden that no one else sees. Those secret things, God will disclose them. For Christians, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, every sin forgiven. 
But you want to know what will be the fuel to your worship for all eternity in heaven? It'll be Christ showing you your sin that was forgiven. There's no employer that gets away with anything. Christ does not want merely moral, nice employers. He wants those who serve Christ from the heart. The hidden person of the heart with the right motive. Isn't that convicting? God knows the heart. God's omniscient. He never forgets. See, we're less concerned with the sins we committed three months ago because our minds are so weak and we forget. He doesn't forget. Oh, how we need the mercy of Christ. Right? We need to worship Christ so that our hearts can be right in whatever position the Lord has put us in. And then he says this, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, will disclose the purposes of the heart. This is still 1 Corinthians 4. He says, then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us to not go beyond what is written and that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Now listen. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you have not received it? Whatever position you're in is by the grace of God. Why would you boast in the greatness of your position if you're in a position of authority, if that very position was gained by the grace and mercy of God. You've received it. This is always Paul argues for this. And so masters, this, the second half of this verse, look at what he says, and there is no partiality with him. So Everyone in authority has a master, and that master is in heaven. It's God. You're going to give an account to Him. And here's what you need to remember. Though you often, though I can often, in a position of authority, begin to become puffed up, what God wants us to remember is He doesn't show partiality. He doesn't look at the one who has no status in this world and view them as less than the CEO at the top of some big company. And that's the one we'll stand before. If he doesn't show partiality, we should not show partiality. So to sum all this up, think of it. Here's basically what he's saying. Wives, you need to see Christ. Husbands, you need to see Christ. Children, you need to see Christ. Parents, fathers, you need to see Christ. Employees, those who are under authority, you need to see Christ. Those in authority, you need to see Christ. What's he essentially saying? 
you need to remember who you are. You need to remember who you are in Christ and how that affects every relationship in your life.